Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 108 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. Hope everybody is doing well. I am still exhausted from the whirlwind week at the IBMA. I was there Tuesday at about noon. I got home Sunday afternoon, and I couldn't have had a better time. Just so much music, so many cool experiences. Um, I, yeah, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I would say Andrew Marlin stopping by my booth with his lore was a pretty big highlight. And then letting me know he was playing at the Architect there with a friend of his band. It wasn't really announced that he was playing. And it was during the awards ceremony. So it was maybe 50 people in there at Tops and watching Andrew Marlin just crush old school bluegrass. So great. Um, just meeting everybody who has listened to the podcast, meeting people who have been on the podcast in person. And um, just, yeah, so much great music. The My Bluegrass Heart. Um, I want to thank David Benedict for giving me passes for for Friday night at the amphitheater so I could check that out. And I want to thank my buddy Mike Gugino from Steep Canyon Rangers, who they threw down Saturday night uh, at the Red Hat Amphitheater as well. And he gave me some passes for that. Uh, Twisted Pine, if you, if you haven't checked them out, oh my gosh. Go see them live. Holy moly. Them in full court bluegrass. I mean, everybody was great. The Price Sisters. Um, yeah, the Wooks, East Nashgrass. I, I, you know, I'm going to forget somebody if I keep going like this. Just uh, it, it was an amazing time. And I want to thank everybody who stopped by the booth and said hello. It was great to meet y'all. And thank you for so much of the support. Uh, I got to meet Rick Ferris, my guest today. And he was awesome as well. And uh, we got to pick some too. And... Just, just a great guy, as you're about to hear, and what a wild story he's got for uh, how he got into mandolin. So let's get into that. Before that, let's get into the sponsors. I want to welcome back Ear Trumpet Labs. Man, so great to have them back. Ear Trumpet Labs, they are celebrating 10 years of hand-building microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed. They have great feedback rejection for live use and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments, whether for a single source like mandolin or single miking a full string band. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. Great stuff. Saw a few of them. Ear Trumpet Lab mics floating around at IBMA. Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. Who, you ask? Why, Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibus, Chad Manning. From beginner to advanced, the courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Sorry I didn't get an episode out last week. It was just too much chaos going on to get ready for that. Also, if you're in Michigan, don't forget the uh, 12th and the 13th of November. We'll be playing the 12th in Bay City, Michigan at the State Theater, downtown Bay City, and then Otis Supply in Ferndale on the 13th. And bring my Tom Petty bluegrass tribute with my buddies from New Ghost Town here in Charleston and my buddy Keith 
picky fingers who I got to uh, spend the whole week with. It was, man, again, it was a great time. So let's get into this episode with Rick Ferris. Cheers, everybody. Now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Rick Ferris. Rick, how you doing? Well, I'm doing just fine, Mr. Daniel. Thanks for having me. Man, thank you for doing it. We met officially at IBMA, and I don't know about you, but I'm still kind of catching up from sleep from that, uh, yeah. from that week. Absolutely. Yeah, it it's a it's a drainer on you for sure. There's so much fun and so little time, so you gotta gotta get it, live it up. Yeah, and uh, one of my one of my favorite moments. Um, from that whole week was we we got to get into a little bit of a jam in the evening and with a tail quail and yes. you had a mandolin with you and he took his mandolin out and started warming up and you looked at me and you like you said I'm gonna go uh, get my guitar <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah man he I, I love to watch him play and he is inspiring but I was like yeah I'm gonna grab a guitar now <laughs> I, I've seen Teo grow up. I think the first time I met him, he was five years old. Um, we were instructing at the Walker Creek Music Camp, and I was teaching mandolin and vocals. Um, and I watched him. He was was five years old, and he was dribbling a, a soccer ball with his feet and practicing his mandolin at the same time out in the field. <laughs> and I was like, man, you got to be kidding me. Like, that's... Who does that? And I knew he was driven. He was going to do great things. And he he and both him and his brother, Miles, are just forevermore coming with it. They are sounding so good. Yeah, I caught, I caught their last set on Saturday afternoon with the Cry Uncle Band. And whew, oh, my. can pick yeah they can well so can you and the first thing we should mention is you have a brand new album coming out on november 5th yeah on dark shadow recording i'm very excited about it and uh, yeah november 5th it's coming out and there will be some killer mandolin players on there um i'm just i'm really excited about this record can't wait for folks to hear it yeah who all do you have uh did you play mandolin on this album I did not play mandolin on this record. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been playing, I went back to guitar um, about, I guess it's been six years ago now uh, with Special C. And I've now been playing mandolin on the road with them filling in, but uh, I haven't recorded mandolin in about six years. So. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, but it, it's been fun to to get it back in shape. I've been having a, a whole lot of fun with that and. Just yeah. really enjoying well, it doesn't playing mandolin like, again. It doesn't sound like you've lost a step. <laughs> you, you sounded great. 
Thank you. Thanks. That, that was that was some woodshedding to get it back, you know, and I, I still feel like uh, improv chops need need some more work, but they're there. They're just a little atrophied. <laughs> right. So, and yeah, stuff, man. man, the way they do those IBMA things, like the, the bit of the set I caught of you guys was in that in that convention room. And what a weird yeah. place, what a weird place to have a gig. Like, <laughs> that lighting is just <laughs> like, it's like you got to take a test first and then you can. <laughs> right, right. So wild. But you guys sounded great, man. Thank you. Yeah, my brother Eddie was doing sound. He was doing a great job for us all week. So. Oh, right on. Yeah, I got, yeah. I met him as well. Super nice guy. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And um, and so one of the singles that uh, has come out here and it's got. A very familiar name and the kickoff. I mean, you can't, you can't miss it. Actually, I'll drop it in here. Sam Bush and that see you on the other side. What was it like to uh what was it like to record with Sam? Man, um I've been listening to that chop my whole life, uh, in terms of bluegrass. You know, dad was a, a big fan of Sam Bush and um you know, like what was just a like I said, a huge fan, always always had Sam around in the various configurations he was in. Um but that kind of Man, honestly, he set the tone, the timing, the drive, the chop, everything that my ear hears in terms of what a mandolin should be. And to have him on my record in that room and just like, just absolutely crushing it. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I, mean, I was just blown away. I was totally fanboying. Uh but it, it was fun. He was very cool. And we had lots of shenanigans we got up to in the studio. Just just a ton of fun. Uh, yeah, it was a dream come true to have Sam Bush record on my record. And it's great to hear that it was live, too, because you know how it is a lot of times now with the uh, well, with the pandemic and with everything else. It's everybody's got equipment to do, you know, to send around tracks and different things like that. So to have that experience. Right, right. With, with that, Sam. Oh. Exactly. We've always recorded live for a live groove. Like uh, we just we feel like tracking together is the best way to achieve, you know, that little bit of extra something that happens when people are excited and it's all live. There's no there's no uh, <laughs> what am I trying to say? No, no net, so to speak. Um, you know, we can always re-record and 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 try again. You know, but. Uh, I had had Mike Bubb on bass and uh, Russ Carson, uh, which is, uh, you know, Ricky Skaggs' banjo player. Yeah, he's killer. Yeah, yeah. And then Jason Carter playing fiddle. Another, another so, killer. <laughs> yes, and Sam Bush. So it, it, was a, it was a great groove. And if you can't get in with that, man, something's wrong. <laughs> oh, man, that's so cool. Where'd you record it yeah. at? We recorded it at Dark Shadow Recording Studios there in Goodlessville, Tennessee. So oh, just okay, cool. north of Nashville. Yeah. yeah. Is that Stephen Mojan's place? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Oh, right on. Yep, and that's where the last 
Yeah, that's where the last record was recorded too. And uh, yeah, it, it's a phenomenal studio. It's it's just a joy to record there every time. Well, I can't wait, man. I cannot wait to hear the album. Uh, I'm really excited to check it out. I love your I love your voice too. You're just got a killer singing voice. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much. Absolutely, man. Now you have a yeah. really unique way that uh, this is this is mind blowing to me because you um the way you came into mandolin is as your as your main instrument for a while is just it it's it's stunning to me. You <laughs> basically you had fumbled with a mandolin before. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I actually picked up a mandolin the first time when I was about five. And I played it for maybe, you know, three or four weeks and just decided, man, I'm I'm not into mandolin. This isn't for (laughs) me. This thing's too small. What's up with that? And I I tried fiddle, too. And just that was a a, wow. Annoying. (laughs) The way I played it, I was like, no way. Um, And I I got to guitar and I, I felt like that was that was the instrument for me. So I had learned, you know, maybe three songs uh, you know, three or four fiddle tunes and about three or four chords. And that's where my knowledge of mandolin stayed until I, um, I got a call from Greg Cahill and he asked if, if I played mandolin and I said, no, no, I don't, I don't play mandolin. And, uh, you know, he said, you sure you play all this other stuff. And I'd actually auditioned for the guitar position. Oh, wow. Um, and didn't get it. They went with a songwriter out of out of Canada by the name of Ryan Roberts, uh, and so he called me back uh, to say that you know I didn't get the position, but he asked if I played mandolin because they were really impressed with my singing. And I was like, "Well, no, no, I really don't." He said, "Well, come on, you got five weeks. Like you, you could do it. You play dobro and banjo too." And I was like, "Okay, but if I stink, man, I'm not even going to come. I mean, I'm not even going to waste your time." <laughs> And he said, well, fair enough. Fair enough. You just work on it. You got five weeks. And so, man, I put in the CD that I already had from learning guitar on all those tracks. And I hit the first fast song and I just said, what the heck am I doing? Like, this is crazy. This is insane. This is stupid. Why am I doing this? Do you remember the song? It was it was Lonesome Lesson Learned off the Signs record. It's a fast tune. I've got a memory in a diamond ring. That's what's left of our love. And um, it just, it's its kicking. It's, I think it's at like 165 beats a minute or something like that. And <laughs> yeah. for somebody who doesn't play that instrument, like it just felt impossible. And I was like, what am I doing? And my wife said, you have been playing mandolin for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just give yourself some patience? Like, you can do this. You just need to have patience. And she's, um, 
she was was consoling me there and then and she said you know what you you just lock yourself in the office and learn to play that mandolin and i'll clean the stuff i'll take care of the house she was working a full-time job she was three months pregnant at that time with our first boy and she said i will do everything i will keep the house running you just learn to play that mandolin because we need you to get that job and i did i worked eight 10, 12 hours a day, every day until five weeks had elapsed. And I went and auditioned for that job and I got it. Dude, that is so wild <laughs> to even, it, I mean, obviously you're great at other instruments and you have knowledge of, of, of doing it. So, I mean, it's not like somebody who's never picked up an instrument, but to pick up an instrument that you haven't played since you were a kid and at yeah. a pro level, yeah. <laughs> with a, a award-winning top-notch band <laughs> land the mandolin position so first off did you have a mandolin did you have to find a mandolin or did you have one already floating around uh my wife actually had one and she was learning to play mandolin um and i borrowed her mandolin until i got the job and then i then i got my own very quickly <laughs> but, um but yeah it was uh it was kind of crazy you know, to, to think about how all that has unfolded over these years. Um, but it, it was just, just meant to be, man. Um, I had so much fun learning to play mandolin. You know, that first year really was kind of nothing but kicking myself in the rear end and pretty down on, on my <laughs> career choice. <laughs> I was like, what am I doing to myself? You know, but as soon as we hit year two, and we recorded the Scratch Gravel Road record, I s could see the progress. You know, I finally looked back and had seen how far I had come. And I was like, wow, uh, you know, hard work really does pay off, and I can see that I've gotten much better. And the improvement from the first recording, which was 35, I didn't know where to mic the mandolin. I was still learning how to play the daggum thing. <laughs> wow. Um, we had a producer, um, oh, they call him monkey fingers, uh, <laughs> oh, from, from Missouri, Brent Truitt. He oh, plays okay, mandolin yeah. for the steel drivers. Yeah, he, was yeah. our, he was our producer on the 35 record and the recording engineer. And he actually helped me a ton. Uh, so he was the perfect break me in engineer. And then, uh, after that we had Allison Brown and Allison's really great at getting the best out of people. So what was um what were some of the things that um Brent showed you maybe as far as like miking and different things that people might pick up from this cuz that's that's coming from another first class guy there and it sound very helpful. Right, right. And you know, in the studio is always a little different, but um you know, he had uh he had two mics basically at a right angle um for, from the pair. You know what I mean? Like the pair was actually coming to kind of like an arrowhead point. Oh, okay, yeah. Um and, uh, you know, he had it just, just off the F hole on the lower bout and a little bit towards the, the fretboard there. Um, and you know, they, they were a set of, um, oh gosh, now I'm not going to remember. <laughs> I think they were, I think they were both NT fives. So road, road NT fives. Uh, those are great microphones. Um, and I, I think it captured that mandolin that mandolin well especially my my, <laughs> my uh point in that journey uh 
he he did a great job like i said just kind of showing me where to relax and where the groove is in terms of mandolin chop because like when you release the chop versus when you hit the attack and strike the string like there's a there's a lot of micro timing stuff to figure out there um and like you can be in time fairly quickly but in terms of finding groove and micro time that's that's a pursuit for a while you have to know to pursue it first you know and uh brent was a big help for that yeah i think a lot of people i mean so many people are you know want to shred for lack of a better term you know because it seems so much fun (laughs) but man i mean sometimes just sitting down and chopping you know Sam is like the pinnacle of, of rhythm and chop and drive. Um, you know, there, there's not many people who can, who can play rhythm and backup and stuff like he does. And he's got such a wide variety to his playing. I mean, you know, the, the guy plays, uh, oh, the Jamaican music. Well, what am I trying oh, to say? Reggae. Like Rasta, Rasta reggae. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, that that's a he's the best drummer in bluegrass you know <laughs> for sure <laughs> the guy is just a beast but you know mandolin players are, are a lot like rhythm players we are playing our rhythm role 95 percent of the time mandolin players it's maybe a little less like they do a lot of kickoffs and they they do some twinning and stuff like that but they also do more fill work but it's still, I would say, north for sure of 65%. You're playing rhythm all the time. So if you're not a good rhythm player, you're not a good mandolin player. You know, it, it's it's crucial. Uh, and people love a good groove. Um, you know, it, and and you, you got to be able to deliver on that. So, yeah, it's great to spend that time and really, really have a great understanding of your role and rhythm and what you're supposed to be doing. So. Actually, at um, IBMA, I saw Ned Lubarecki, and he was talking about two bands that really blew him away, uh, Twisted Pine and mm-hmm. Full Chord Bluegrass. Um, and he was like, the reason that they blew him away is they, they had such groove. Yeah. And it just was like, it made his head sway a different way, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. So when you're sitting down for those five weeks, aside from like learning those tunes, what what was your day like? I mean, I know it was eight to ten to twelve hours, but we also like working scales and working on other players' stuff, or were you just working on those songs? Absolutely. So I all of that. <laughs> um, I I would start off each day. Um, I would start with scales and end with scales. Um, so I would start with scales and I would work on, let's say, just just the G major scale the first day. You know. Um, I would, I would run it all the way across the fretboard and then I would run it, the pattern up the neck as well. So I run it all the way across and then all the way up on each string and just really hammering in, this is the G major scale. And then I would play songs that were special C songs in the key of G, um, and really, you know, try to just, just hammer that out. Um, I would also, for brain breaks, listen to Sam Bush uh, live at Merlefest with Tony Rice. Um, you know that that's just everybody's seen it. If you've looked for bluegrass at all, you've seen it. But it, it's Bella Fleck and Jerry Douglas, Sam Bush, uh, Mark 
on fiddle. Uh, <laughs> it. I'm blanking. Oh, it! I just totally blanked on his last name. It's, O'Connor? It's, uh, Mark O'Connor. That's it. Mark O'Connor on fiddle and, uh, of course, Tony on guitar. And that's just ridiculous groove as well. But Sam is forevermore coming with it. You know, uh, his, his rhythm and, and groove is just insane, but also his real cut and loose on, on lead stuff is great. So I'd go in and learn some, uh, some licks from Sam and, uh, also just work on grooving with the band. Um, and then I'd come back to, uh, some different scales, you know, that were also in G I would do my, you know, diminished scale, um, you know, stuff like whole tone scales, whole half as well, just to kind of get, get all of that, you know, kind of working in my brain. And then I would end with the G major scale again. Um, you know, just, just to, again, kind of wind down the fingers, nothing super intense to end with, (laughs) 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 you know, not, not blowing it out. But, um, I also, you know, I, I've known from my years of teaching guitar and such, as well that it you know really what you want to do is come back to something quite a bit um especially if it's what you're really trying to hammer home uh, when you come back to it often you engage your long long-term memory banks like your brain goes oh we're going to keep doing this this is something we need to learn um so coming back and doing something even if it's just like 10 or 15 minutes if you can do that three times a day you're going to learn it a whole lot faster than if you did a six hour chunk and then didn't work on it for two weeks, you know? Um, so, you know, putting in your time is where it's at. And if you can only do it five or 10 minutes at a time, that's way better than nothing and do it several times a day. Absolutely. Actually, we'll come to that. We'll, as we get near the end of this podcast, I'm going to pick your brain a little bit about more about that 10 yeah. minute, about that 10 minute thing. So your five weeks, rolls through how confident were you feeling heading into that audition after that well i was pretty nervous but it's also because i had never auditioned for anybody before um you know i grew up in a family band and by default (laughs) i was i was i was literally born into that band um you know so so i didn't have really a proving ground uh, for that, this is, this is what this is like, you know? Um, so Greg was the first band I'd actually auditioned for, uh, and both times, you know, the first time it was guitar and I didn't get it. The second time was Madeline and I did, <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, it, it just like, I, I showed him, you know, what I could do. And I told him, I said, man, I said, I know it, it's it's kind of rough as a cob right now, but <laughs> I <laughs> I will work hard and and uh, I will do good for you if you do ch- decide to go with me. Um, I'm not going to just get this job and then give up. I, said, I I know that I've got a long ways to go, um, but I'm I'm excited to be here and thanks for you know auditioning me and. Um, you know, I, I was I was definitely nervous, but I, I would say I wasn't quite as nervous as I was when I auditioned for guitar, just because I had auditioned once before, and it was only like three months' time between them. So it, it was, you know, it was a different kind of thing. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think the, when I realized that, you know, Greg and the guys were just there, they were trying to root for me. They wanted me to succeed and be the guy. Um, I just had to relax and show them what I could do. That was, uh, I think when I realized that the second time around, uh, that's when I really could say I sang better. I played better. Uh, I was way, way more rehearsed and very much with the material on mandolin. Um, guitar, I, I didn't mail it in, but it, it was like, this is what I do. I, I play guitar. Sure. You know, and and I, <laughs> right. I knew the songs, but I didn't know them forwards, backwards, every part, singing, you know, uh, know them to the point where if a distraction came up, I was able to still do what I needed to do. Like there's a different, there's knowing a song and then there's knowing a song like you're, you're half asleep and it doesn't matter. Um, being able to just fall out of bed and, and play that song. I, that's what I was able to do because I spent so much time <laughs> with that material. Um, you know, and, and I did, uh, they, they wanted other songs from me, like in the bluegrass vein, they wanted to make sure I could cut it improvising, doing, uh, stuff like that is where those YouTube videos, uh, you know, Sam Bush or, or, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Mike, Mike Compton's playing. I love Ronnie McCurry's playing and I don't play like those cats, but I, I love to hear it. It's in my ear and I love the sound of a traditional like lilt to, to bluegrass mandolin, but I love it in a context that's um, definitely on the edge of, of new stuff. Did they give you a set uh, song list? I mean, because they have, when you say you were recording number thir- album 35, I'm assuming that was for the 35th year that band has been together. Right, right. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's a giant catalog of tunes. Absolutely. And I didn't have to know all of that, but I did... They, they gave me a list of songs to, to work on. They, they wanted me to do signs pretty much every song on the CD. That was the newest record. That was the one they were going to be playing the most on the stage shows. Um, and then they, they gave me a list of, uh, I think Greg sent me a CD, a mixtape kind of. Uh, that's back when they were doing that still. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he sent me a CD of material and what parts to learn. And I just learned them all in terms of singing, um, you know, and, and that was, uh, that was what I had to do. And of course, as soon as I got the job, he gave me a much bigger list and every CD. Um, and it was time to do more homework, <laughs> but, but it, it, it was great. I was able to jump right in and I remember being on stage though, and I was so nervous the first time. I had recorded with the band, I had gotten the job, but man, when I first got on stage, I was so so nervous. Uh, we we were playing a a nursing home. It's the perfect break in gig for a new guy. <laughs> 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 ah, they can't hear anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but man, I remember I had the worst gas on the planet and <laughs> david thomas thought i was dying or something he's like are you okay oh my gosh <laughs> i was like dude i'm so sorry but like i was gassing him out it was terrible <laughs> oh wow oh my gosh that's so I know. funny we, we we just went there sorry fart joke that's all right man <laughs> but you know that's all part of it you know the learning process and you, you're going to get nervous it's just learning to function through that so 
how did they tell you right away when you auditioned on mandolin you got the gig or did you have a uh, did you have to go home and wait um so they they took me out to dinner uh both me and my wife we both had driven down there um and I, you know, we, we talked a lot. They kind of, I, I believe they were vetting my personality with that. Um, you take somebody to dinner and it tells you a lot about somebody, you know, how they treat the wait staff, especially when they have somebody in the forefront of their minds to impress like the boss. <laughs> right, right. They're, they're always kissing that person's butt, but how do they treat the wait staff while they're distracted? That usually tells the story of who somebody is. Um, Greg's always made a point to share a meal with somebody that he's going to offer the the job to. Um, I think that's very wise. The, uh, the gal who's the CEO of, of, um, Holiday Inn, that's, that's something she's published that she does actually. That's part of her vetting process, but you know, you got to be able to travel with somebody as well as make music with them. And in bluegrass, you're sharing rooms, especially early on, you know, in, in a bluegrass band's career. But you're, you're sharing rooms. You're basically living together. So you got to be able to stand each other. And that's crucial. Uh, but after the meal, um, he he offered me the job. And so that was that was really I was we were riding a high on the way back home. <laughs> I, mean, I, I bet. Yeah. He, apparently, you held your gas in at the dinner too. You saved it for the first gig. <laughs> Could have been a disaster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, this guy. There's something wrong. With him. Yeah, man. Guys, <laughs> that guy is broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you went into the studio with them. How long of a gap was it between getting the gig and then heading into the studio with guys that you've never really played with? Yes. Yeah, so uh, let's see. It was early September when I auditioned in 2009 and uh, December, the first week of December in 09, that was my first recording week with them. And then uh, we went out, did the couple of gigs in Chicago and then came back to the studio in Nashville. Um, so yeah, kind of my, my first outing with the band was like two and a half weeks or something like that. It was it was record and then go play and then record again, uh, which was, which was really good. Cause I, I got to establish a rapport and, um, you know, got, got to know the guys better. It was a lot of fun making great music. So did you guys uh, rehearse a bunch between then and the album? Um, yeah. So when, when we were, uh, I think I had a week where I came up to, uh, to Chicago and we worked on some of the tunes that we were going to record. And Ryan Roberts had had written quite a few of them that were going to be on that record. So we we knew the material before we went in. Uh, we, yeah, we had rehearsals there in Greg's in Greg's kitchen. So oh, nice. Yeah, it was it was good. But yeah, we pretty much played all day. Um, you know, we we'd wake up, have breakfast, get the instruments out, start working on vocals, and then we'd have lunch, and then we'd throw it all together with the instruments and. Uh, yeah, it was it was a ton of practice. I was I was loving all of that. I I like practicing, especially with a band. Um, you know, you have to do your own work as well, obviously. But uh, it's nice to be able to put that puzzle piece in with the band and hear it all come together. Now, is this when uh, you're mentioning CDs? Uh, were you slowing this stuff down at all to learn it? Was this pre trying to picture what kind of? I mean, because now, geez, you can pull out your phone and. 
slow a song down and isolate right. instruments and you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they had amazing slow downer then, but I, I did not have it. Um, I, I wish I had, I probably would have learned things a lot faster, <laughs> <laughs> but no, man, I, I was like, you know, I, I had to, the ta- the CD deck there, you know, or the CD player, and I would hit hold down that rewind button. I got real good at that, you know. Um, and I, I'd zip back to the start of a solo, yeah, learning it at full tempo, which is why it was so disheartening to to pick up that lonesome lesson learned song. It, it was just it was way too fast to think, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. what is going on there. And I what I had to do basically is I had to. Um, I had to listen to it enough that I could hum it. If I could sing it, I could find it on the mandolin, but I had to listen to it to where it was just in my ear. I could sing it and then I could take that and sing it until I could find it on the mandolin. That's great. That that's how I got past it without the amazing slow downer. <laughs> yeah, and, and even with the amazing slow downer, that's just great advice. Sing being able to sing something Mm-hmm. I mean, then you, I mean, you, you kind of know the melody, you know what I mean? And then it's right. just transposing it from there. It's in your head now, you know, put it to the fingers. What, what kind of mandolin was it that you were learning these songs with? And then what was it that you went to once you were like, oh man, I gotta, I'm going on the road here and going in the studio. Yeah. Um, so I, I, my wife had a summit mandolin, which is a Missouri built, uh, the guy from, uh, he, he worked with, uh, I think it's Paul Schmidt was his name. Uh, I, I don't know. I think he's still around, but he's, he's making summit mandolins. And I believe he was out of Missouri, but he worked for Gibson for many years. Oh, you know, I just played, somebody just brought one to me at the booth at IBMA to check out. Yeah. They're, they're great mandolins. Yeah. And you know, um, that my wife had an A model that was really a great mandolin. Um, and, uh, you know, when I got the job, I started talking to my buddy, Steve Hind, who, uh, I, I build guitars. I have built a couple of mandolins, but I wasn't th- super thrilled with how the mandolins turned out, and I only made two. So uh, by the time I had made two, Steve Hines started making really good mandolins, and I was like, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I'm going to stick to guitars. This guy's really got a good skull on a mandolin. So I started playing a Steve Hind uh, F model, and it was actually the second mandolin he ever made. Oh, wow. And yeah, and that thing, uh, that's been the mandolin that I recorded ever since. Uh, I recorded with his first mandolin. Uh, it was a red mandolin um, on the 35 record. Last night I dreamed that you told me goodbye. In my sleep, the teardrops filled my eyes. It felt so real, I thought my heart would break. And then uh, that's I then played mine for about six months that I had made for my brother. He he loaned it to me, and then Steve had number two that he gave me, and. Uh, Man, I just I played that mandolin. I just about wore a hole in the top until we got a pick guard. <laughs> I mean, it, it's scary thin in that one spot, um, but uh, it's it's now got a nice pick guard on it. That's actually the same height as as uh, as my guitar. 
In oh, terms really? Of, yeah, string to the deck on the top, you know, there on the pit guard. Yeah. It's the same distance and same uh, angle. So that was uh, that was really cool. That's something that Steve Hine does. He can measure that out and build you a pit guard that is what you're comfortable with. Um, I thought that was just the coolest when I finally got that pit guard and it felt the same as my guitar in terms of string heights. Yeah, that's awesome. I could have the, yeah, I could have the same relaxed hand position that I was used to with guitar, and uh, it that feels incredible. He builds some beautiful looking instruments, by the way. I've had he Nick really on does. and that one that he just did with the uh the, the train theme. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> yes, yes. And actually we just took ownership of another hind. Oh uh, really? His, yeah, number fifty. Um my, I had him build one for my son, Parker. Uh he he's getting real excited about mandolins and I, I was uh he kept asking for one. And I, I had one, I had worked this out with Steve. I, I had one on the way and, uh, and it just got finished right before Ivy May, the day before, or I would have had it <laughs> there at Ivy May. But he just, I couldn't, I didn't have the heart to take it from him when he had just gotten it. I was like, you know, Hey, you know, if it were, if he'd had it for a couple months or something, I'd have been like, Hey, can daddy borrow your mandolin? <laughs> yeah, right, right. But it's a gorgeous mandolin it's a sugar maple back and sides uh like the old lures and like the the gills um and then it's a red spruce adirondack top and man that thing is a monster um yeah and it's an oil varnish so when i first got it i was like it's like oh yeah that's that's a good mandolin you know and i can i can hear it's going to be a, a really good great mandolin and then i picked it up when i got home from ibma and i was like oh my good lord <laughs> like, <laughs> this thing is a monster so i'm i'm real excited that he uh, he's got a great mandolin to to learn on and daddy's got a good one to steal occasionally <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh that's really cool man i got to try to get him on sometime um i've had a couple makers on but i would love to uh, i mean is every every picture i see of them is beautiful and I've got to hear yours in person and um you know Nick when he posts all the videos and actually Grace Van Ott um she had uh one of his I believe it was like a baritone uke maybe yeah that he yeah. built and um we had an Airbnb her myself and Keith from Picky Fingers and she was playing that warming up for a rehearsal and I was just like that thing just sounds beautiful cool yeah yeah he built some great instruments and um his mandolins are really just, just spectacular, and I I love the consistency he's getting now with the newer ones. Uh, you know, for for a little while, he he was trying some different things and really trying to figure out, you know, where's the dartboard, you know, and what what do I like? What do I like about it? Um, and he got pretty lucky with with number two early on, like that that mandolin. It it had clarity that was hard to find in a mandolin but it didn't really have a low-end growl and man i played wheelhouse like a billion times on that mandolin to bring in that low end and that that mandolin's just got it all it's balanced well it's got a growl it's got clarity up top that most mandolins that are woody sounding don't have um it's just got it everywhere and this new mandolin i think has even got that one beat and it's it's not even two weeks old yet, so oh it's had gosh. less it's had less than thirty hours played on it. Wow, 
yeah, it, it it's like I said, his new mandolins are just stupid good. That's cool, man. That's so exciting yeah. to hear. Oh man, yeah, cool. When when you go back to listen to the or when you got done recording thirty five and you listened to it, did you have a track on there where you're like, oh yeah, okay, this is gonna work for you? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, you know, I I think Dust Till Dawn was the one that I was like, this is, this is fun. From Dust Till Dawn, when you paid the price for all you've done wrong, she's in the Monroe-ish, uh, but it, it's uh, you know it's kind of the blues. It's it's like a Monroe blues bluegrass song. Um, you know, I made this bed, but I can't sleep. Filled with regret for each breath I keep only in dreams. She's in these arms, and I lie awake from dusk till dawn. I mean, it just like yeah, sad, pitiful, heartbreak. I can't yes. believe you're just doing that. Have you been singing all morning? I mean, you just like uh, just no. break out the singing. <laughs> Sounds like the album. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've I've not sung that song in probably eleven. No, no, no. Probably probably nine years. Um, and I didn't actually sing it. Ryan did. <laughs> but, um, so it, it's uh, that that's that's pretty rusty. But <laughs> it yeah, sounded good to me. Well, I. I do have a pretty good memory for, for lyric and for melody and for, you know, uh, for that kind of thing. You, you, you give me a number that's three mixed numbers. Like there's no way in heck I can remember it even 25 seconds later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible with some things and really blessed with others. So do you, um, are there any things from gu- the guitar playing side? Cause again, you were playing guitar for a while before you picked up the mandolin you think there's anything in the guitar stuff that you would develop that kind of crossed over and maybe helped you a little bit during that five week uh, cram oh. session? Yeah, absolutely. My pick direction, understanding, and knowledge was invaluable because that just meant I didn't have to worry about that. Um, I had to worry about things like, you know, it actually turned my wrist a little more um, because I had further down to reach to touch the top and playing against the top. Um, so because of that, it kind of, it turned my wrist a little bit and made it, everything feel a little foreign, you know, um, even though I was very comfortable with guitar, it, that didn't transfer over the hand placement felt weird. Um, and I mean, of course the, the knowledge of, you know, there's, there's a, a whole step between one and two and a whole step between uh, you know, two and three, half step between three and four in your scales. So like all that knowledge transferred over. But, you know, what I found the coolest about mandolin is that everything mathematically evens out. Um, you can take the same fingering and do the D scale and then move it across the strings and you got an A scale. Um, so you, you learn one lick and then instantly you can go across the strings and learn that lick in three different keys. And then if you change the fingering, you can move it up the neck 
and do it in like another six or seven keys. So uh, I found that when, when I realized that that was an unlocking of the fretboard, um, that was just invaluable. And I thought that was the coolest thing about mandolin. That, hey, I've learned this lick. And guess what? I can play it in every key now. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, you know, that, that was really, really cool to figure that out. Where um, were you, did you, did you have like books? Did you get a book? Were you looking online? Were you? No, I pretty much, uh, was self-taught and YouTube taught. Um, cause YouTube was very prevalent at that day. It wasn't used a lot as an instructional tool. Um, I didn't say, you know, nobody told me, Hey man, go to, fa- go to YouTube. That's like the best thing since sliced bread. Right. I was just like, I, I was desperately looking up first, who is my favorite mandolin player? Because I wasn't sure. At first, it was kind of Adam Steffi. And then I was like, oh, wait. Yeah, you know, Adam's great, but it's Sam Bush. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where my ear goes. Um, you know, daggum, I wish I could play like that. And it was so different than guitar that it, it was not easily attainable um at first you know it, there there was some cool stuff that eventually after a year or two i really kind of started developing my style more towards a traditional uh loving doing a lot of tremolo that's very powerful lots of double stops i love dempsey young's playing oh so good oh man oh, such great stuff You know, just just watching other players develop, like Harry Clark. That guy is a, is a monster, and oh, so uh, I mean, great. he is an absolutely crazy man on that mandolin. I've never seen a right hand like that either. His right hand no. is so wild looking. Yeah. And, you know, he can just play anything that pops into his his brain. And that is so inspiring to me. Um, it seems like it's, it's the same with Teo. You know, those, those cats just can play whatever their heart desires. And that someday, someday I will get there. <laughs> <laughs> How were you when you when you finally got on the road with those guys? Were you getting to woodshed? I mean, obviously, you're going to be you're doing a lot of traveling, right? You know, uh, we had um, we had Greg called it a minibus. It was essentially it was like a camper, but uh, the inside was all customized like a bus. So we had bunks, we had uh, yeah, we had storage for equipment, and uh, we had a couch and captain's chairs and stuff. So. I would literally grab a folding chair and sit in the back of the bus and pull all the curtains to try to, you know, isolate myself as much as I could. (laughs) But man, I annoyed the crap out of them. I played mandolin 24 seven for about the first year and a half. And there were times where Greg's like, 
okay, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I've heard enough, man. And I said, I know, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to be good for you, you know. And, and he said, I understand, but I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, if we had 30 minutes in the hotel room before we were going to the gig, man, if I was at all able to, I was, I was getting after the mandolin, um, warming up in the, in the backstage area, happy hands and on stage as quietly as possible while everybody else is sound checking. Like I just, I didn't stop. I tried to, you know, just make up for lost time. And I actually set aside my guitar. I didn't pick up my guitar, but maybe 12 times in six years. No kidding. Really? Yeah. It, it, and those chops atrophied and I wish I had kept up a little bit, but, um, you know, I was really in it to win it on mandolin. I was really trying to, to be the best mandolin player I could in the, in the shortest amount of time. Yeah. Um, it's, that's dude. this. Uh, when I was reading the, your bio, I couldn't believe it because you would never, never. I mean, you, you play again. I always say this to people, but you play like somebody who literally played mandolin, like you picked it up at five and then never put it down. <laughs> you know, not like <laughs> you picked it up at five weeks <laughs> and got a job in a, in a, you know, a, a big time traveling bluegrass band that's working full time. I mean, and then six IBMAs and two Grammy nominations. I yeah. Mean, that's dude. That's yeah. wild. It was incredible. Yeah. It was, it was nuts. Um, that, that it all progressed like it did, you know, um, our second album, you know, that, that I was on, uh, that, that got our first, uh, IBMA nomination, that first song of the year that was, uh, for Monroe's Doctrine. And uh, man, we performed that on the award show. It was our first award show uh, playing. And we had Chris Jones and Josh Williams up there singing. Oh, wow. And Sam Bush played fiddle <laughs> on stage. And you could probably imagine how I was feeling. I was nervous as all get out because we had Bobby Hicks and Sam Bush playing twin fiddles. And oh, I was wow. there just hacking on a mandolin in front of Sam Bush. Oh, man. I was like, well, you know, if I can make it through this, I'm, I'm good. (laughs) But dude, it was, it was awesome. And it just went up from there. You know, I mean, we, we did our John Denver record, which we had a ton of great vocal guests as well as great pickers come in. And that, that won our first, uh, two awards, um, and that was, you know, song of the year. And I think, uh, collaboration of the year. Um, That's but it, cool. it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I was very blessed to, to get in with a band like special consensus. They, they very much were a good place to grow. And, uh, Greg was very patient and understanding with me at a crucial time. So I, I owe everything to him. Yeah. that's so great. If somebody were to say, what is what is the track? What's the track that represents your mandolin playing? What would which track would you pick off those albums? Oh, 
Hmm. Boy, I would have to say, I, I would say probably country boy. Pushing facts in a file. But I'd rather be a hot color, chew and cut on a style. Re exchanging my find a horse and car. I'm just a country boy, country boy at That was uh, that was an instrumental that uh, you know I, I felt really good about. You know, it was that's a um, I was familiar with the song and it was improving in the studio, but I'd had some time with that track. I mean, I knew we were going to record it. Um, we didn't necessarily know what key yet, but uh, we had Michael Cleveland come in and play fiddle on it, and. Uh, I want to say it was, uh, yeah, yeah, it was Buddy Buddy Spiker played fiddle with Michael. So we had twin fiddles and then the rest of the band at that time, which was uh, Dave Thomas on, or excuse me, Dan Eubanks on bass, Dustin Benson on guitar, and Greg Cahill on banjo. I was playing mandolin. So it was a great groove. Um, and I, I felt like I, I really, I had a, a good scald on on my ideas. That, that, that felt like me coming through as a mandolin player. Um, and that was kind of really, I, I think a, a good showcase of what I could, could come with. Um, but it was a lot of fun. It was a great track and I loved recording that. Um, I would say as, as a mandolin player, that's, that's what I would point to and say, that's me. Yeah. Perfect, man. That's so cool. You're talking about having a happy hands on stage. Do you have a, do you have like a warm up when you were, that you kind of run through before you go on stage with the mandolin? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I would work my triads, uh, just in a major scale, just to kind of get my brain thinking. And then what I would do is something like, uh, well, the road is rocky, but it won't be rocky long. Yeah, the road is rocky, but it won't be rocky long. You know, something like that. That's kind of a, it's a bluegrass beat, but it's essentially a 12 bar blues. Right. Right. You know, and just improvising over that. Uh, at first it was, you know, singing and playing, and then it was a little more playing, and then it was nothing but playing the blues and improvising. So I would get my improvising chops kind of warmed up that way and try to never start it the same way, never end it the same way, and um, play in different positions, you know, practicing switching from high melody position to a low melody position. Um and sometimes I'd, I'd have fun and just like do one line high, one line low, one line high, one line medium, what the neck, you know, just, just to practice switching between those transitions and, um, getting that think outside the box of normal. How can I make this solo different? Um, you know what I mean? Than the last ones. So man, I love going to see, I love going to see bands when the solos are nothing like the album or, you know, or you go see a band a couple times and every time is a little bit different. I just like, cause it just makes it, you're like looking into the mind of a player at that moment. And it's right. just so cool, man. 
It is. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, Dustin Benson and I, we used to have occasionally we'd, we'd get a wild hair and say, okay, man, tonight we don't play one solo the same. <laughs> you know, like every song, every solo completely different. And it was like a, it was a challenge. Like, like, can, can we make it and not fall on our faces? Which, you know, you gotta, you gotta work without a net. Sometimes you get out on a, on a thin limb, but uh, it was it was very fun and and uh, something to to change it up after we'd been on the road for whatever eighteen days straight in Ireland or or <laughs> right. what have you you know just something to kind of change it up um, and by that time you're all definitely warmed up and ready to go and try some things and you feel feel confident getting out on a limb. Do you, um, do you always use a mic when you play or do you plug in? Uh, I always use a mic with mandolin. Um, and the mic that I use is a Shure Beta 181. And it's the super cardioid capsule. So it's a real narrow field of picking up uh, that it does. Like it, it does not pick up much off to the side. Uh, and because of that, it's really good for avoiding stage noise and, and feedback. Uh, but that mic is a very true, very flat mic, and it sounds good on every instrument. That's also the the mic I use for my guitar. Um, and my guitar, I run a pickup that's about 5% of my sound into a blender box with the microphone and send one signal to the sound man. So it's, it's all mixed in exactly the way I want it to sound before it leaves the box. Nice. What, uh, what kind of box do you use, just out of curiosity, for that? It's a Headway Audio. It's made in the UK, and uh, it's it's a great um, blender box. Uh, the only the, I would say the next best thing after that um, would be the the Felix, uh, and I think that's is it Grace Grace Felix. Yeah, Grace Design. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dan uses that, and it's a it's a blender as well, but it's got studio quality and a lot more adjustment, but. Um, the headway audio is much more reasonably priced and, uh, they're great folks uh, I actually, I do, uh, I'm a sponsored artist. And oh, nice. I, I endorse them. They are great and they're super great with uh, customer service. Very nice. And, and they have a very quality product. That's great. So, yeah. Yeah. Those, oh, the, the, the Felix, all those knobs, man, they just, Make me make yeah. me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it can be overwhelming for sure. You're like, oh man. Yeah, like, I mean, I think it sounds good, but what happens if I turn this? <laughs> right. And you know, I I read their instruction booklet, and everything made sense for the the headway audio stuff. Uh, and I'm not an audiophile. My brother is a really great sound man. Uh, but I got to where I could find a, a fantastic sound and not have to sit there. And mess with it. You know, once it was there, it was there. And um, I could just tell the sound man, set it flat. And if you have to, like, you can adjust from there. But, man, just flatten the channel out, and here it is. And that had never happened before on mandolin or guitar. So that microphone with that blender box is just the cat's pajamas. Oh, that's great, man. I'm going to have to check it out. So... So I got time for two more questions for you here, and yeah. the uh, the first one is, and I we, we you talked a little bit about it by you know just playing five or ten minutes a day. Um, I, I've thought this since episode number one that everybody always says they don't have time to get better, but I'm a 
I'm a firm believer in. If you just say 10 minutes a day, you're going to pick something up and focus on one thing at getting better at. You're going to get better eventually. You're going to, if you work on uh, whatever, Ralph's Banjo Special every day, 10 minutes a day for a month, you're going to learn a version of it. You know, if you focus on it, you can play it. Yeah. So um, if you had something on mandolin to recommend to somebody or that you would do today for 10 minutes, what would you recommend? Um, well, if, if you're a, a starting mandolin player, um, you know, getting out the, uh, the bluegrass album band record and just chopping along with it, like, and really understanding what that groove is all about. Uh, you got to listen to it first before you pick up the instrument, obviously to, to really hone in on that, but then try to make Doyle's mandolin chop disappear. Like if you're right on it, you're actually going to eclipse it and then it goes away. So if you can make it so his chop disappears, you're doing something right. Um, and as far as uh, as working um, actual left hand workouts, you know, start with your scale, your just your G major scale, and then start with what I call stair stepping, which is um, you know like. Two, one, three, two, four, three, five, four, six, five, seven, six, eight, seven, one. You know, like like that kind of you do the patterns going up and the patterns going down. You know eight seven, eight, six, seven, five, six, four, five, three, <laughs> four. Like like saying it is really weird, but Yeah, I know exactly um, what you mean though. But but doing that, and then there's loads of different ways you can do that, um, you know. And then and then going to your uh, your uh, blah, 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 your triads, your one three five three one, and then your two, you know. And then it's the three of the two. Do 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 do. Uh, working those up and, you know, realizing the, what is different, you know, that, that one is major, two is minor, three is, uh, minor, four is major, five is major, six is major, seven is diminished, or excuse me, six is, is minor. Um, you know, knowing those things in each key, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna find so much, uh, you know, your melody is so much faster. If you can get that under your hand, everything comes faster. If you have an understanding of your scale, even if you just start with one scale. So start with one scale, do your major scale, then work on your stepping in that scale and then work on your triads. And that's all you need to do. Um, and you know, if you start with one, it, they say it takes 10,000 hours to become a master, um, you know, on, on anything. Um, so, you know, you've got to get time in to, to get better. Obviously we all know this, like there are no real shortcuts. The shortcut is knowing what to practice. Right, right. Exactly. And if you get a good teacher, that goes a long ways, but you still got to put in the time. Um, and if you can put in, 10 minutes uh, with my wife, we have an agreement. I, I can get the mandolin out and play it for 10 minutes. 
go load the dishwasher or empty the dishwasher. Go, <laughs> go back, play the mandolin for 10 minutes, load the dishwasher, go back, play for 10 minutes, and then move on to the next thing. Like if you keep the instrument out, you will pick it up more. Um, I actually have uh, a, a braided fishing net or fishing line that I hang my instruments from the ceiling because we have kids and pets. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have it, uh, I have it at, uh, above the doorway there's where there's, uh, a, uh, a stud in the wall. I've got a, a hook sunk in there and then I've got fishing line suspended. That's braided, you know, like just, uh, and I think, you know, anything under 40 pounds is going to be just fine. Um, so instruments are super, a lot lighter than that. And I, I suspend all my instruments and leave them out so that I can make sure that I can get my practicing in when I need to. So. Oh man, I love it. That is yeah, great. Yeah. And then the yeah. <laughs> last, the last question is though, you don't, though you don't really drink much anymore. Do you have, did you ever have a favorite beer? Yeah, I, uh, I would say, um, my favorite Bavarian beer is the Helles, and that's spelled H E L L E S. And um, the Helles beer, it's like a Weiss beer, uh, but it, it's got a little extra something, something to it, and it is just <laughs> amazing. Uh, if I'm in, if I'm in Dublin, it's Guinness mm-hmm. yeah, all day long. Yep. If I'm in the south of Ireland, in Cork or somewhere like that, it's Smithix or Beamish. Oh yeah, I love uh, Smithix. Yes, yeah, and Beamish is actually the best beer in Ireland. Don't tell my friends that. <laughs> but Beamish is a local Cork uh, beer, and they've been brewing actually longer than Guinness, and it's very much in the Guinness style. But they they beat out Guinness even. It's it's amazing. If if I'm in if I'm in France, it's Lef beer, and that's L E F F Lef beer in France. And if I'm in Belgium, it's their cherry beer. That stuff, like I can't even remember the name of it because that stuff is potent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what is this? It's great. Yeah. Where <laughs> are like, we? Like, exactly. What is my name? Um, <laughs> I play the mandolin. What? Yeah. Wait a uh, minute. <laughs> yeah. I, it's like 32 percent. Oh my gosh. It is wicked strong. Yeah. It's. Um, and if I'm in the UK, I, I love to, uh, to do their, uh, their mead, which is, it's not beer technically, right? but, but still, man, oh, their honey mead in the South of the UK is just amazing. Well, November 5th, brand new album. Where yep. can, uh, where can everybody find you? Well, it's, uh, the new album is called the next mountain. And it, it's that uh, that carrot dangling in front of the face. It's always the next. What's the next obstacle? What's yeah. the next thing I need to get figured out? Um, and it, you can find that anywhere. Find music is sold. So it'll be on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon. You know, it, you, you can get it anywhere. Um, so just look up Rick Ferris, and Ferris is spelled like Paris, France, but with an F. So it's F A R I S. Perfect. And rickferris.com, they can check out all the other good stuff. That's right. Yep. You can get uh, all the information from there. Rick, uh, Rick, it has been a pleasure, man. It was a pleasure to meet you in person, and it was uh, it's great to do this. I really appreciate you taking time to do the podcast. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Daniel, for asking me. Brother, I'm glad we got to visit. This has been fantastic. And thanks for doing what you're doing. This is this is awesome. I can't wait to catch up on some podcasts. Oh, so. thanks, man. I really appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you.